Welcome to Inspire Others and the Guide to Awesomeness podcast, powered by Coldwell Banker Ronan Realty. Join us as we explore how to unleash your inner awesomeness with some of the most inspiring people in all industries. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Guide to Awesomeness. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Matthew Ferrara. Matthew Ferrara has a degree in philosophy. He's a photographer, a writer, and a professional speaker. He spent the last 28 years traveling the world, teaching others how to grow their careers and lives through creativity, innovation, and leadership. Matthew is an advisor to organizations in 49 states and 16 countries. Matthew's work draws connections between many disciplines, such as business, innovation, marketing, and technology. They all combine into unique insights about growth and modern markets. His perspectives include roles as salesperson, CEO, entrepreneur, artist, and cancer survivor, from which he's developed an inspiring message about the importance of doing good work with our lives. On his journey, Matthew attended Phillips Academy Andover, went to school in Bologna, Italy, earned degrees in philosophy and economics, moved from Boston to Las Vegas, and has flown enough miles to visit the moon and back over five times. He has keynoted conferences and hosted retreats around the world, has been translated into eight languages, and his photographs are periodically auctioned for charities and good causes. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some of your awesomeness. I appreciate it, Sarah. Thanks for doing this podcast. I think it's a really cool project. And the idea of a guide to awesomeness is very, very neat. Yeah, I'm really excited to compile it all. At the end, I'm going to ask you a couple questions that we're going to add into it. And as with anything, time flies, right? And you start something like this and you're like, oh, where's it going to go? And it's uh, it's going some pretty cool places. So good for you. I'm going to jump in. What was your first win that made you confident that you were doing the right thing in your career? Interestingly enough, I think my first win wasn't actually at the beginning of my career. So I was about eight, nine years into my career. And to be honest, getting a little bit bored at some of the repetition that was happening. So I was uh, really saying the same thing, doing the same class and thought to myself, well, if this is it, maybe it was a good run. Nice eight, nine years. Maybe I have to do something else. So I went on vacation and I had just got a new camera at the time. I had not been taking a lot of photography up until that point. I had done it in college, you know, but then I had got a new camera on a win and I, uh, I took this photo while I was in Bologna, Italy of this really quaint street. It was raining. People had umbrellas. It, it just looked really classic, if you will. And I turned it to black and white and I posted it on Facebook because at the time, you know, if you wanted any encouragement when you were doing something new, you posted on Facebook and everyone would always say, you know, great, great photo, et cetera. And I actually got a direct message from a real estate agent who said, that's a terrific photo. I think you should enter it into a contest for the cover of a magazine. And, you know, here's the link. And I said, well, gee, thank you so much for being my friend, but I'm not going to enter it into a contest. I really don't think this is worthwhile. And besides, who cares about my photographs? And she said to me, if you don't enter it into the contest, I will enter it for you. <laughs> and I said, 
Well, I'm not sure. And so eventually she convinced me to enter it into the contest. And the way to win the contest was to get votes from your sphere of influence, from people online. And my sphere of influence was real estate professionals. And I thought they're not going to care about my photography at all. Well, it turns out that a crazy number of people voted for my photograph and I won the contest. And what I really won was a recognition that my sphere of influence, the people that I was trying to help, they were ready to help me. That was the real win. The win was whatever I wanted to try to do, they would help me make it a success. And at that point, I had not been using my own photography or anything like that in my materials. I wasn't telling my personal stories. It was very matter of fact, top 10 lists, things like that. And I just started trying, really bringing more of my creative side to my work. And not only did that rescue my career, because now I was writing material that I was very excited about, and I broke out of that sort of uh, routine teaching, if you will. But to see the reaction of real estate professionals, my clients, to supporting me, that's when I recognized, you know what, now I'm really doing what I was meant to be doing, which is bringing a lot more to the table than just what my initial training was, if you will. Yeah, having a passion, right? And sharing your passion. And we often don't do that in this business. We often find, you know, this is an area where now I turn this into actually a class for many real estate professionals. I say, well, how are you integrating your personal hobbies, your personal passions, things you're committed to, your charities? How are you integrating these into growing your business and serving your clients and making a difference, not just being awesome at a transaction? I mean, I'd love for you to be awesome at the transaction. But where's the rest of the story? And I had to learn that firsthand, that I needed to bring everything to the table, not just that I was a competent trainer, a motivational speaker, and I knew some information or some techniques. I needed to bring the stories, the experiences, the humor. And it also isolated, in a sense, or maybe ensured, if you will, that what I was offering was unique because now people would not be able to just copy what I was doing because they, they couldn't copy my photograph. They couldn't copy my story that goes along with the photograph as opposed to just a top 10 list of what to do with marketing technology or social media or something like that. So in a way, it really is the same lesson for myself that I now try to bring to clients as well. Yeah, to tell your story. Storytelling was a big takeaway for me during this end in particular and something that always, always stuck with me. And now we have the Cola Banker Ronan Realty story inspired by yourself and everyone at Ascend. What strategies in particular have had the biggest impact on your success? It's a great uh, question, too, because it's a weird combination of answers that I have. I think the first that comes to mind is that the simple strategy that's had the biggest impact is to implement the best practices that are right there in front of me. Like there have been other speakers, trainers, motivators, educators, people who have had my role. They were my mentors. They were people I looked up to. They were colleagues. And rather than reinvent the wheel, I just took the suggestions that they gave me and I actually did them. And so the simplest strategy has been to do the very obvious things. This is how you grow your business. This is how you expand your sphere of influence. This is how you 
come up with creative answers. So for me, that answer is almost routine because in many ways, I didn't know any better. When I came to the business, I didn't set out to be a speaker. So whenever someone said to me, here's something you should do, I was like, thank you for that. I can't wait to do that. Now, I tell the same story to real estate agents. I say, listen, stop trying to reinvent the wheel. Your broker has decades of experience on how to do this well. Just like at least implement 90% of what they tell you to do uh, before you go off and try and reinvent fire. So that's, that's one thing. The second thing that I learned that's really important strategy is I really don't try to be everywhere and with everyone. There are some groups that don't resonate with me. There are some audiences that I wish them all the best, but they're just on a different path with a different strategy. And so I really have learned that I don't have to be at every conference. I just have to be at the conferences that are for me. I don't have to have every client. I just have to have the clients that are for me. I don't have to be in every industry conversation. I just have to be in the conversations where I have something valuable to contribute. So being very focused and understanding where I should and shouldn't be has also helped me conserve my energy and make contributions where I know they'll have the most impact. And then last but not least, I do really have to mention this because it's sort of a trick. I try to do the opposite of what most people in my position are doing. This may be just something I remember from one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes, but I just do the opposite. You know, where everyone says, you have to produce 10 pieces of social media a day. You have to be at every conference. You have to, you know, whatever. And I just think, you know, I think I'm going to do the opposite. I think I'm only going to produce content when I really have something valuable to offer. I think I'll go to the events where there's people I want to learn from as well as perhaps contribute to. So I'm kind of, in a way, implementing this concept of doing the opposite of the crowd. And what I've found is that it's just easier to be effective when I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. Absolutely. And when you layer your story on top of those best practices, right, is where it starts to really shine and you enjoy it. I think so many people aren't enjoying what they're doing. Well, you know, I'm excited every day to go to work, you know, good times and bad, hot market, cool market, pandemic, not pandemic. I mean, when the pandemic hit three years ago, uh, like everybody else, for me, everything came to a screeching halt. I went from 35 booked gigs to zero in 24 hours. And it takes six months to book a gig. So it's not like I could replace them overnight and no airplanes, no travel. You know, what am I going to do? And by the end of the year, I turned around the crisis into an opportunity. I went from doing zero webinars a year to doing 300 in the first eight months. Yes. And I was like, wow, I'm actually more passionate about coming to work during the crisis, during the global health crisis, than maybe just, oh, when everything was going so well. So I'm passionate about my work because my story and my strategies are in sync. I think for many of us, when we feel as if our story and our disciplines are going in different directions, it drains the energy from us. I was just telling a group this morning, if you wake up every day and you say, oh, the market is slow, the sky is falling, there is no inventory, whatever the complaint of the day is, I will promise you that you will have no energy to take the actions that would turn those situations around. 
But if you wake up every morning and say, I've got something good to contribute. I know that people are pleased to receive a call from me or get my help whenever I can help them. I'm just going to do my part. Then all those parts add up. And I think that that's, for me, one of the aspects of success, which is just do your part every day and include what makes you authentically valuable. And you'll have more than enough success to go around. I love your perspective, particularly the beginning of the pandemic. Your perspective I shared quite often because I felt like people really needed to hear a different perspective, which was just that, right? Is that as, as you look at it is what it'll appear to be. And so it's so important to make sure that you are doing those, those affirmation type chats with yourself, especially in real estate, really in any industry, whether you're in an industry or not, it is what we make it. I distinctly remember reading a few of your posts and being like, yes, this is what everybody needs to hear. Thank you for having the courage to say it. I appreciate that. And in fact, if you look at almost everything I post on, say, Facebook, it almost always starts with note to self. And then I whatever come up with something that I want to talk about. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I really am talking to myself. I'm blown away that anyone reads those things and finds them valuable. I'm deeply grateful that they can somehow resonate and help other people. But honestly, they really are notes to myself. What do I need to tell myself this morning? Am I accidentally falling into the doldrums? Am I feeling more pessimistic than optimistic? Did I just have a, a shock and I need an antidote to it? You know, so I think that that mindset it works certainly in terms of keeping myself motivated, but then it has a ripple effect, right? Because as you are talking to yourself, when you are talking to yourself, others might want to listen in and that can be helpful to them. And, and that's okay. Like I'm not actually out to evangelize the world. I'm just out to like make my way in it. And if someone is curious about what I happen to be talking about, that's great. Please do listen in. Now, I'm putting 110% into making sure I get what I need to get done too. So it's it's really one of those areas that is maybe an opposite approach to what it means to be successful. Absolutely. Obviously, though, there's a passion for helping people. And when I mm -hmm. was going through and just doing my research before I spoke to you, that was the one thing that really shone through to me was it was how much you enjoy helping people and the lengths that you'll go to to help people. Now, if you could, it's a great world, but if you could change one thing, uh, just one thing in this world, what would it be? <laughs> this is a tough question. <laughs> Oftentimes, people like to think about all the things they would subtract from the world. And I think I would add something to the world. If I could change one thing in the world, I would add one more hour to the day. I know that sounds really weird, right? But I would add one hour, but it had to be 100% just for you. You got 24 other hours to make all the contributions you need to, to family, friends, neighbors, clients. But imagine if we had one extra hour just for you. Now, you could do nothing in that hour if you wanted to. You could just be quiet and be reflective, or you could ensure that you could do your hobby, or you could try something new. I don't know what. I don't want to subtract anything from the world because good and bad actually have their roles to play. But I would like to just add one extra hour just for each of us every day. And I don't even know where that would go. I just have a feeling that it would be 
such a exponential benefit to us individually and collectively uh, that it would be, I don't know, maybe, uh, m- maybe the secret formula for making the world a much better place. Very cool. I've never thought about that, but I often <laughs> think it would be nice to have an extra hour in the day, right? And to do those things that we always put on the back burner. So if you did have one extra hour, Matthew, is there something else you would learn? You have many passions and, uh, and many things that you, you do know already, and photography is obviously one of them, but is there something else that you would learn? I think I would relearn something right now, to be honest with you. I used to know how to play the piano as a young person. And I have completely lost the skill. I just, I can't read music anymore. I really can't even copy music anymore. So I would love to relearn that, that skill for two reasons. One, I would like to have that concentration, that sense of concentration when you're playing music again. Uh, being in flow is a state that I love. I feel like I'm in flow when I'm doing photography. When I'm speaking on stage, I don't even know what's going on around me. When I am writing, I'm in flow. But I I think I would like to learn again to do that with music. And also, playing the piano requires your hands and your feet. And so, to be honest with you, I wouldn't have any ability to look at my smartphone (laughs) while I was practicing (laughs) my music. So that would be like a, a, you know, a fringe benefit, if you will. So if I had an extra hour, I think right now, at least, I wouldn't do anything that I'm currently doing. I would add in something that I used to really enjoy. I used to be able to read music as a child, too, played piano and violin, and I couldn't, for the life of me, do it right now if I wanted to. So I miss it. Yeah, in a way, I miss it. <laughs> so. Speaking of pianos, fun question is, what is your favorite song? Ah, what is my favorite song? So my favorite song is actually Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Uh, I, I don't know if that qualifies as a song, uh, but especially uh, the fourth movement, Ode to Joy. My first career out of college was talk radio. But in order to get a talk radio program, I had to do other radio programs to prove that I knew what I was doing. And so I was the only person who volunteered to take the classical music show. And it really taught me to love classical music, which I'd always liked a little bit. Anyways. Uh, turns out that Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is somehow tied into a lot of other work that I do when I'm writing a class, when I'm writing an article, and I always seem to have it on in the background. And in the exact time of that piece, I can create the thing, whether it's a speech, whether it's an... So Beethoven's Ninth is, I guess, my go-to, if you will. That's awesome. Yeah. No, classical, anyone out there listening, if you haven't listened to classical lately, Uh, I highly recommend as well. So I'm a big fan too. Very inspiring. Uh, This is going to be a hard one for you probably, but do you have a favorite photograph of all time that you have taken? (laughs) This is really hard to choose. There are so many photographs that I could mention. I've had some photographs that have, as I mentioned earlier, been covers or been auctioned uh, for charities. So so I could name a lot of them, but I'm going to just I think I'm going to pick a simple one for this particular answer, which is I have a photograph of a horse-drawn carriage that is actually passing by the front of a Tesla dealership. (laughs) And so I was in Chicago one evening, and it was cold and rainy, and I saw this horse-drawn carriage approaching. But before I could get my camera out in time, 
to take the shot. It had passed by, but I figured this was its route, its normal route. So I stood in a drizzly cold doorway <laughs> for about 30 minutes until it slowly, because it was a horse, made its way around the blocks. And I, and I got this photograph. So it's, it's a Tesla dealership all lit up in the back. And then there's this horse-drawn carriage just sort of making its way across the front. And I love it because it's, you know, the juxtaposition of the world we live in, the old and the new. And uh, it just seems to remind me that like so many things can coexist just fine in this world. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's more and more of us all the time. And it is very interesting uh, to to see how things have changed so rapidly, you know, with the chat GPT even or, or AI and all the new things that we have and have to learn to do. So another one that'll be difficult for you, I think, I tried to think of some that maybe you hadn't been asked or would be difficult. <laughs> You've traveled everywhere, but what is your number one happy place? Oh, this one's actually easy for me. Uh, it is Bologna, Italy, where I don't know, so many of the most exciting parts of my life are tied to Bologna. I went to school there. Uh, I got that photograph that changed some of my speaking career. The family that I lived with when I was there is still, we, I talk to them you know, almost daily still. Uh, they're really part of my ongoing family. And every time I go back to Bologna, it's just a, it feels like a reset. Uh, one thing about Bologna is that it doesn't change very rapidly. And so while there are plenty of incredibly cool things that have happened over the last 30 years, I go back and sit in some places that feel like I'm still sitting where I was sitting 30 years ago. So it's a it's a reset. Uh, it is a place where uh, I'm challenged because there's always so much learning going on in Bologna. It's the home of the largest contiguously running university in the world. So, yeah, it's it's my spot, if you will. It's your happy spot. Well, I'll have to check it out one day. It sounds lovely. It's really wonderful. And that is the neat thing. I've not been there, but uh, anyone who has gone to Italy has told me the same thing, right? You feel like you kind of step back in time, but yet learn about the important things. So Matt, you mentioned too, on you speak three languages. That's true. Yes. I think it was if you get to the bottom of this, then there was a few little things on your website. Everyone go check out. Yes. At the bottom, <laughs> at the bottom of my bio. Yeah. There's a few little did you knows. So yes, I mean, I speak English, um, variably well. Uh, but I also am fluent in French and Italian, sort of two Italians. I learned Italian as a little boy at home. <laughs> I learned it from my grandmother, who, of course, had emigrated to the United States at the turn of the last century. Uh, when I went to Italy in the late 1980s, <laughs> I was sort of speaking this old Italian, the very old Italian. And the father of the family I was staying with said <laughs> one evening, he said, stop, stop, just stop. He said, I, I don't understand. Why do you sound like an old woman <laughs> from before the Second World War? <laughs> and it was because my grandmother, you know, she had come over before the Second World War and her Italian froze like she didn't evolve her language. So, uh, of course, I, I learned the Bolognese uh, Italian very quickly. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I speak uh, Italian and French. I've actually had the pleasure of teaching in multiple languages. So I've taught in Italy uh, in Italian. I used to do keynote an annual conference in Paris uh, in French. And then I've really also been blessed to work with translators all around the world. So in Shanghai and in Vienna and in Berlin and other places, there's 
been an opportunity. Now I don't speak, you know, German or Chinese uh, directly, but uh, just that experience alone is almost like having uh, some extra language extension, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. And Italian's not that easiest to learn. So it's probably learning it as a youngster was handy. It was very fun as a youngster. I could talk to, you know, my grandparents and some cousins uh, in a way that like my, my friends in the neighborhood didn't know what we were talking about. I will say one wonderful thing about Italian is that you don't have to learn spelling because if you can say the word, you can spell the word because every letter is pronounced. So comparatively to French, in which like English, there's all sorts of silence, you know, letters and things. I was never terrific at writing French, uh, but uh, better at written Italian. But in both, I can certainly work my way through a, through a conversation without any problems. Yeah, because there's less there's less letters in the Italian alphabet, correct? Yes, that's true. We uh, don't have a W or a J or a K, which is kind of also fun. Although they've they've crept in only because, of course, of foreign words, if you will. But we don't we don't actually use them. So it, it you know what's really interesting though is when I go to France or Italy or even just parts of Europe where they also speak Italian. They speak Italian in Switzerland, for example. What I really love is that period in which my brain has to, you know, work differently and work actually a little harder at just the language. And it's very refreshing because rather than having the rabbit wheel of like the million things on my task list and what's coming up tomorrow and what I need to say, you know, like all of that has to be set aside because I, I don't want to sound foolish maybe if I haven't practiced my French in a while, I really have to be 100% focused on what I'm about to say. So that's, learning a foreign language is actually a really powerful way to use your brain, if you will. Anyone who has children, I would make sure that they try to learn one or two you know, before they grow up. But of course, adults can, can learn languages now easier than ever. When I grew up, getting a set of tapes was like, <laughs> it was a feat to be able to accomplish. Now on my smartphone, I can learn uh, lessons all the time. And um, we have a wonderful neighbor next door here who uh, their native language is Chinese. And it, when we first met them, we really couldn't communicate, but we just use Google Translate, which is, you know, an extra. And then, of course, over time, you learn a few words. So now I can be polite and say good morning and hope all is well when I see him at the mailbox, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So many tools. Yeah, I remember you'd have to like play the tape, rewind the tape, <laughs> have the book to go with the tape. Absolutely. When I went to school, we also had to give our exams on cassette tapes. And uh, I, I actually feel bad looking back thinking about my professor who had to listen to all those cassette right? tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, there might have been a little bit of beer or wine involved with listening to those cassette tapes, I have a feeling. I think it's the only way I got to be, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> so speaking of Italy, I know you do writer's retreats there. Do you have any retreats coming up? So currently, I am not leading any retreats, but my business partner in Italy continues to lead them on a regular basis. So during the pandemic, you know, it was just impossible for me to travel and also it was much harder for people to get in and out of Italy. So she actually retooled those retreats to being uh, smaller than 30 people. So, you know, you could still go to theartofwriting.com and, and you'll see 
that Lisa's got a bunch of retreats coming up in May and June and July. I am right now outlining a retreat that we're hoping to offer this fall, but on, in the United States uh, in Palm Springs. So that is, uh, you know, in the works, if you will. It's a little different, you know, in the States running a retreat than it is in, in Italy, for example, where you can just bring everyone to a palazzo and close the doors. Uh, so a little, few more moving parts, but I'm hoping to make that happen. I am doing some company retreats. So there are some of our clients who, you know, love to take their management teams or their top salespeople, something like that on some retreats. So I have a few of those, but open to everybody retreats with any luck, we'll start them again in the fall. Awesome. That's exciting. So everyone can stay tuned for those. Well, before we go, I have a couple questions that I'm going to ask you to help us write our guide to awesomeness. Oh, great. There's three questions that we always ask everybody. Number one is what is something you do or use to ensure you're always striving to work productively? I think in my case, the most important thing that I do is watch how I structure my day. So I am most productive in the morning. So if someone wants me to do a class or keynote a session, I always ask to do the morning <laughs> session if possible. If I have to write an article, uh, I am. we just started my Substack, So I have to write contributions regularly. I really try to do that all in the morning. So the most important thing I try to do is maximize that morning chunk of time for the most important productive thing I need to do. There's a lot of other things that have to get done, but honestly, they could be done on 50% energy, you know, bookkeeping or whatever, emails or something in the afternoon. So, so for me, it's about using my best time effectively. That is something that I've had to learn over the years to really protect, to be very, very uh, protective of that morning time. Yeah, nothing else has gotten in, right? I'm the same. I like the mornings if I'm going to write something or if I have something that I really, because um, I find as the day goes on, I take on the other energy of the day and then it gets a little bit scattered. So it's great advice. And I know morning is different for everybody. When it's light, it's morning for me. So in Canada, that changes right. drastically throughout the year. <laughs> and so what is one habit, Matthew, that's transformed your life? I think it is writing on a regular basis. I try to write for five minutes every morning, whether or not that becomes something, but it's just a regular process. It either allows me to gather my thoughts, explore an idea, or sometimes I write that has no business connectivity whatsoever. I just write because I want to be in that state of flow for five, six, seven minutes when I'm on the road. I can write on those little sheets of paper that you have like in a hotel room and just write and I might just toss it out. Like I don't have to keep it just for the process of writing. And then if I feel as if this is something I might keep or might explore more later, I will just write it as a draft on my Substack or just keep notes on my, my smartphone or something like that. But it is taking five, six, 10 minutes max every morning to write. That has truly transformed my ability to keep uh, my mind in order, keep my thinking clear, to explore some things, and also to really get some clutter out of the way. Maybe just put it on paper and let it go uh, so that I can focus on what's important for the rest of the day. And so you, you like to write with a pen and paper still? 
I'm very old school. Uh, I actually have a remarkable tablet, which is a sort of pen driven e-ink tablet. But honestly, every year I continue to get new pens for, you know, holiday gifts and things like that. And I'm thrilled with them. I have notepads, notebooks. Uh, sometimes like I was just teaching and I just have a, literally a notebook with some handwritten notes on it. And this will be my teaching for the whole day. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with good old fashioned handwriting, if you will. One thing I have learned is that with handwriting, I am a little bit more precise with my writing. When I type, I know that, oh, I can edit this later. And so I just type and type and type and type and type. And it's actually not really good writing. But when you handwrite, you you have to sort of use the energy well. Your your brain says, hey, don't don't waste energy. So use good words, slow down, and write more effective sentences. So I find that handwriting does have an impact on the quality of my writing. That's interesting. It is true because you can type so much faster than you can actually write. And it, I think writing allows your brain to keep up, right? Or even voice dictation now. So there is a difference between speaking and writing. So when I'm talking, if I voice dictate, you know, I might go off on tangents. I might have a lot of different filler sentences. But when I'm writing, I think I don't need to say that again. I don't need to emphasize that. I don't have time to go off on that story if I want to make a certain point. Typing has impacted writing, but so has now the technologies of translation, transcription, uh, and voice dictation. So for me, I'm still a little old school. Yeah, makes sense. So on the topic of writing, if you could write one chapter in the Guide to Awesomeness, what would the title be? I think the title would be something in the realm of being you. And I think that in the Guide to Awesomeness, there should be a chapter that encourages people to explore what's awesome about being them. And not for any applicable purposes, not what's great for you to build your business, what's great for you to expand your influence, just what's great about you. I think that people underplay what makes them amazing. I think they don't give themselves enough credit. There's a difference between being modest, and, and I think it's okay to be modest, and then not recognizing that, wow, there are some really cool things about you. So I, I would recommend a chapter on being you and what makes you unique and special and without any purpose in mind other than to reflect on the fact that you have a lot of gifts and talents, each one of us, and they you know, may not necessarily be on the top of our mind every day, but if we have a chapter that maybe reminds us to think about it from time to time, it might make it easier to then do those things, whether it's be a parent, be a friend, be a neighbor, be a you know, salesperson, make a difference in your community. It's much easier to do those things when you're feeling really strong and good about being you. That's great advice. I love it. Thank you so much, Matthew. And I know we could, uh, I could talk to you all day long about all sorts of things, but thank you very much for being here and sharing all of that insight with us um, and your perspective. And it's always very valued. So I appreciate it very much. And hopefully I'll see you soon. I appreciate the invite and thanks for listening. And I do hope to see you soon as well. 
Awesome. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me for another awesome episode. Whether you're already on the road to awesomeness or just starting out, be sure to join us next time for a dose of motivation, education, and entertainment.